As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined as always by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect presence for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up. Tottenham are still top of the Premier League after their one-all draw at Crystal Palace on Sunday afternoon. So why are people being so negative about the game, Charlie? Um, well, I, th- I don't think everyone is. I think there was a bit of a split on this. And I think even amongst individual people, there was a bit of a split. I mean, that's kind of how I felt. Like on one hand, I thought, you know, it's a point away at Palace. It's definitely not a terrible result. And Liverpool drew as well, which makes it even less of a bad result. But I think the reason there's frustration is there was a nagging sense that um, it was a game that was there for the taking and in the first half, it was impressive because I thought Spurs were, you know, a lot more front foot than they have been in the last few weeks, uh, and and they were more effective really than they had been in those in that Burnley, West Brom, Brighton trio of games. But I think it was the way it felt as if the initiative was lost in the second half, and as though they sat off too much, uh, were too negative and defensive again. Which I think you know fans are totally fine with if that's defending a two goal lead against City. 2-0 lead against Arsenal or even just you know grinding out a, a well-earned point at Stanford Bridge but I think the frustration was was this really the right way necessarily to approach it so it was interesting because I, I put that to Mourinho afterwards you know why there was that drop off in the second half and he said it wasn't deliberate they weren't that, that was absolutely not what was said at half time or before the game or at any point he said you know you play with a low block against a team like Palace and they'll punish you but he said they were it was out of their control. Palace just played really well and pinned them back, which obviously uh, raises different concerns. But I think he was at pains to 
to to say that it, this wasn't a you know we're going to just take what we have and and try and sit on a one 0 lead. James, did you think watching it that Spurs chose to sit back in the second half like that, or do you think they did get pushed back? And what does that tell you? I, I mean, it, I, as Charlie says, Mourinho said after the game, it didn't it didn't feel as much like a plan as it did. Um, against Manchester City and Chelsea it kind of felt to me like they were using the ball quite badly uh, I didn't think Son had an especially good game which I, I don't know whether you could kind of say that coincides with the, with the team actually having a lot more of the ball I think there was it like 58% possession or whatever so clearly that dynamic was quite different despite being under pressure a lot in the second half but it, it felt to me a, a bit like that, like I said last week about the second half of the Arsenal game where they weren't defending badly at all, but it just felt like every time they won the ball, it was just kind of hoiked up to the halfway line where, because Bergvine is essentially in, uh, essentially in a team doing a defensive job, Kane, as we know, is now dropping back far deeper, is basically probably when Spurs are out of possession, maybe on like the kind of the, the edge of the centre circle in his own half, maybe. Uh, it, you're leaving just Son up the pitch, basically, to try and win the ball. And it just felt like, you know, Crystal Palace have several big defensive players in their team and they were just winning the ball easily every single time and it was just coming back again and again and again and I think I've not actually done this but I reckon if you watch back the goal which I know came from a free kick I wouldn't be at all surprised if in the two minutes before they gave away that free kick Spurs probably won the ball like two or three times and hacked it up to halfway without any kind of plan seemingly um it, it probably to me it was like a classic example of one of those games where if you flip the entire thing round you would feel totally different about it. Say, had Palace started well and penned Spurs in in the first half an hour, created a lot and scored a scrappy goal, then Spurs kind of come good and played a lot of good football in the last half hour of the game and then equalised, you'd feel massively positive positive about it as a result and probably even a performance. Whereas obviously you kind of swing it round, you've gone 1-0 up against a team 11-12 places lower in the league and then surrendered the lead and the initiative. It... It, it does feel like two points dropped. And you're right to mention that Liverpool then dropping two points later in the afternoon does kind of change the context of that quite a lot. Um, and obviously Chelsea losing on the Saturday evening. But I mean, uh, to me, that's all the more reason to kind of be a bit annoyed by it, really. It feels like it's kind of a preventable a preventable dropping of points. Um, I, I mean, I imagine we're going to talk about, or people would want us to talk about whether or not it's right or wrong to... to be quite so passive in a game like that particularly in the second half and regardless or not of whether it was an intentional thing it definitely happened and I do wonder whether having played in that way for the last three league games and obviously we know the league team and the, and the Europa League team are totally different so you can kind of you can draw that distinction I, I wonder whether it's quite difficult like mentally and physically maybe to kind of switch for one game to being way more offensive and dynamic and then in the knowledge that you're going to have to flip back to playing the other way on the Wednesday evening at Liverpool. And particularly because we know, you know, that's going to be, whatever happens on Wednesday night, that's going to be an incredibly hard game. It's going to be an incredibly, like, chastening match, particularly for the defenders, and they're going to have to do a lot of work. I wonder whether there was a certain amount of, like, getting that lead and then just hoping that they could hold out and preserving a bit of energy and not kind of overexerting themselves going for a second goal. Because I don't think between between going 1-0 up and the Palace equaliser, I think... I think uh, Gator made what was it one shot a uh, one save sorry yeah Spurs went fi- more than fifty minutes without working the keeper um, from around thirty five to around eighty five. The, the only thing Jay, I think I think you're really right about the difference in perception and if it had flipped and they'd come back 
uh, and you know rescued a point having been a goal down would be saying that's a decent point sell us but I think that's quite telling though in a way because what uh, frustrated a lot of the Spurs fans um, that I was seeing talking about this was the fact that it it seemed like only once they'd conceded that goal did they really kick into gear and 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 so what a lot of people I think would have wanted was that well it shouldn't take that you know just because you're a goal up doesn't mean you you have to uh, you know revert what you know and, and the fact that they did so quickly create those chances created a sense of well if maybe if we had just gone at them a bit more they're not that secure and maybe we stood off them but I think you're right about the, the change in it's, it's not easy necessarily having that that change in approach but that's actually why I was really impressed in the first half because I thought the way having come off those three games where clearly the approach was very much right we're going to sit off and pick you off on the counter I thought it was impressive the way they actually created a bunch of chances in that first half they had they had four shots on target which was more than in the whole Arsenal game they they looked pretty positive and I thought they looked almost surprisingly comfortable doing that I, I was fearful that they might look a bit unsure of what to do against the deep line defence and I thought in the first half they did that well um, it was it was just a pity that the pattern of the game changed, but maybe it was um, you know as, as Jose suggested, you got to give credit to Palace. Um, I, I do think it did raise a couple of things. I mean, when you're winning games, it's it seems kind of churlish to you know point out things that haven't been working so well. But I think clearly there is um, you know teams are coming on to the fact that transition wise, if if you can stop the supply line to Kane. And Tottenham do struggle to move the ball up the pitch. And obviously a big part of that is because you've got Hoybier and Sissoko who have such a defensive role sitting in with Dyer and Alderweireld. And that does reduce how much they're going to be you know, playing quick passes forward. And Hoybier can do it. Sissoko, we know his distribution isn't that great. And it did feel in the second half reminiscent of the Chelsea second half where they just couldn't really get out. And it's such a delicate balance because if, if you sit that deep and you play with almost six defenders, that's fine if you carry that threat with Kane, with Son, with Bergwijn on the counter. Once teams stopped that, as Palace seemed to do in the second half, there were times when it was just coming straight back and Tottenham were clearing it. And there was one, I remember, where Cahill just picked it up. And this would only have been in around, like I don't know, 65th minute or something, but it did feel like a, a last-minute siege at that point. So I think, I think it's totally fair to acknowledge they've been on an amazing run and it's not a terrible result. But also, and this was the piece I wrote after the game, I was trying to look at what are the things they can learn from this and try and improve on. And I think that midfield balance, it's just about getting that absolutely right. And maybe, you know, Hoybier and Sissoko do just carry on for the moment. But I do think there will be games where they will be caught like this because you are going to struggle to move the ball up quickly with those two, especially Sissoko, and especially if a team can shackle Kane like the way Kante did for Chelsea and the way that Palace were able to yesterday. I think it's quite easy to categorise this game alongside, say, like the Newcastle and the West Ham draws where Spurs really should have won and then threw it away at the end. But I do think in the Newcastle and West Ham games, they were just really unlucky. And like they were quite random occurrences. And I think this game actually felt, it felt like a des- the draw felt more deserved than it did in either of those two occasions. And that's why I was feeling, I've been feeling slightly negative about about it because it felt like, this was more in keeping with what should actually have happened given the flow of the game. I don't know whether I'm just kind of unfairly writing off Crystal Palace and how well they came back into it, but there is part of me that thinks ultimately these are the kind of games that decide who wins the league. Certainly the last two or three years, the real strength of City and Liverpool has been winning so many of these kind of like quite difficult away games against decent sides. 
Yeah, look, I mean, having drawn comparisons between this Spurs team and that Liverpool team of 13-14, who quite famously didn't win the league because they drew at Selhurst, having been in front. Yeah, uh, yeah, it would be childish to not highlight that. But I mean, also, just on that theme of like, were there other games where, you know, followed a similar pattern? I mean, you could, I was looking at this and, you know, James and I, we always talk about the XG after each game and it's now... Palace had a better XG. So for, fourth game running, Spurs oppositions have had a higher XG and six out of the last eight. And I think, you know, Burnley away as a game could have gone either way. West Brom away could have gone either way. Brighton at home could make that case. So I I, I don't think uh, a result like this is a massive, massive surprise. You know, a result like this had probably been coming. And I did think, as you, as you say, Jack, the... Um, the equaliser, it felt like it was coming. Um, but look, it's it's still when you look at these, if you look at this game as a kind of this these five games as a kind of pack, and I know there's then three hard games after them anyway, so maybe it's a a, a pack of eight or a pack of seven, including um, Leicester and Wolves. But of this first four, which was the kind of savage run of games, it's eight points from twelve, and that's that's really good. You know, I think that I think everyone would have taken that, and and even you know, look at it in a more micro way at the start of this weekend. Given Liverpool had Fulham away, Spurs had Palace away, I think if you've been offered you're going to stay stay ahead of Liverpool after this round of games, you'd have taken that. Totally. Look, I don't I don't want this to be too negative because it's not it's not that bad a result. Um, in terms of positives, Charlie, uh, two things I want to highlight. I don't know if, if you've got any other favourite moments. Obviously, the Harry Kane goal was really really good, and what I loved about it was it was it was such a low percentage shot, and you have to be so kind of confident and ambitious to take on that and to take a chance like that in the like suspecting that the you can fool the keeper and that's exactly what he did so that was great and then also the uh, tanky and dombly rabona what a way to bow out <laughs> i hope that wasn't a punishment substitution no he knew he was going he, there was okay. already a lot of movement and i think it was a kind of mic drop um i'll, I'll do this yeah. and then and then be on my way yeah i mean and good to see son and kane linking up uh, as well I mean I know a few people were a bit sniffy saying it's not really an assist but it goes down as an assist uh, and this was what I was looking at pre-game was their uh, relationship and kind of how they get on off the pitch and quite a few little nuggets in there of them driving to the airport together for away games and now sitting next to each other in the dressing room and there's a sense that they, they've you know got a really close bond so they're now They've got 12 assists for one another this season alone. And the this, the record, Sheeran Sutton's record for a whole season is 13. That was over a 42-game season. And obviously, so Son and Kane are almost certainly going to break that record. And we're only, what, 12 games into the season. It's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, I think it was one of those games. I, I don't even think you need to, even if there weren't even tons of kind of individual positives from the game, I do just think it's one where you look at the bigger picture and say, you know, two goals conceded from seven games, five wins, two draws from seven games, top of the league in December. It's all, you know, it's nothing to get too frustrated about. But I, and I also think though, it's fine to also say, well, yeah, the, the overall context is great, but there are some things to improve on because the way you win titles is by learning from games where you drop points. I mean, and Spurs are a good example of that. Look at, you know, for, there's such a clear line in the sand. They drew three all at home to West Ham and conceded three goals in the last eight calamitous minutes. They double down from then. They completely changed the way they play. They have Sissoko and Hoybier playing as, 
almost centre backs at times, and they go on this run of conceding two and seven. That's what you have to do as uh, as title challenging teams. So what will be interesting is to see well how do they adapt from here? Do they keep doing exactly what they're doing, or do they make slight alterations for equivalent games? And 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 Anfield on Wednesday may not be too revealing in that regard because. I don't think what happened against Crystal Palace is really going to change the way they approach. I don't think they're going to be any more or less gung-ho. I think we know how they're going to approach that game. But maybe it does subtly change how you approach, say, Wolves at Molyneux or Leicester at home uh, on the weekend. Yeah, so Wednesday night at Anfield, I looks like it could be one of Spurs' biggest league games in years, really. I mean, I know we're only 12 games into the season, but it's first against second in the Premier League. It's... Uh, chance for Spurs to open up some space between them and Liverpool if they win and I know they obviously don't they don't have a fantastic record and Phil James have you got any any optimism for this game or are you too scarred by Spurs's recent record not especially confident uh, in broader terms but you do kind of quite fancy that Spurs would be well prepared for this game and, and I like I said earlier I kind of think what happened on Sunday afternoon may have been partly because at least one eye was on this game we know exactly how Spurs are going to play and we know exactly how Liverpool are going to play and we saw in uh, January when I think it's probably safe to say Liverpool were in a better uh, quote-unquote moment and Spurs were in a worse quote-unquote moment that Spurs did a pretty good job of frustrating Liverpool and and keeping them at arm's length for quite a lot of the game obviously lost that 1-1-0 without without Harry Kane in the team um, or on Dombley, I imagine. I can't really remember now. Blimey. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you, you would you would kind of you'd kind of fancy that there's an opportunity for Spurs there. Um, I mean, Liverpool obviously have done incredibly well without the players they've had missing in the last few weeks. Uh, and I know uh, Hotto is missing, isn't he? He's going to be out for a few weeks, so he won't play. And obviously, he's probably been their form player maybe in the first couple of months of the season. So I suppose you'd have to say that was a boost for Spurs. But, you know, clearly that's an incredibly good side. And it is, unfortunately for Spurs, for the second time in a week, probably one of those grounds where 2,000 fans actually will make a difference rather than it just feeling like, you know, just a very small number of people rattling around a massive stadium. You can be fairly sure at Anfield, I don't know, it's a horrible cliche, but at Anfield under the lights in a big game, 2,000 people will definitely feel like more than 2,000 people. Yeah, although, like I said, we talked a lot about how there are some teams who Spurs play who are perfectly set up uh, for Spurs to attack in behind. Like, you know, Saints and Manchester United are the two obvious examples. Like two of Spurs, and Man City, you know, three of Spurs' best four performances of the year, really, were in those games. And one thing we know about Liverpool is they do defend really high up the pitch. Like, maybe not quite so high up the pitch now that Van Dijk and Gomez are injured. You know, now that it's Fabinho and Matip, I think they play a slightly more pragmatic game. But they're still like a totally like front foot team who defend high and leave space. And, you know, you saw how much joy Adam Ola-Lukman had yesterday sliding those passes through and behind for his Fulham teammates. And I just I just think they are... I'm not saying I think Spurs are going to win because it's tough, but I do think that there could be the opportunities there for Kane and Son to get in behind if Spurs can, you know, find the right pass to midfield. It's going to be a huge game, I think, for... And Dombele, for example, because of how how much pressure Liverpool put on mid, put on in midfield and how relentless they're going to be. I don't know whether Kate will come back into the team or not, but it's the kind of game where if I think it'll be so, I think it will be attritional. But I think there's the opportunity there for one moment of magic from Dombele or Hoiberg or whoever. If they can slide in a Kane or a Son, then it's uh, you know Tottenham could be in. 
Well, that's where what I was talking about before and the the issues they've had in moving the ball up the pitch, certainly yesterday. You know, if, if they can do that against Liverpool, as you say, but it's a question of how much Sissoko and Hoybier will just be focused on the defensive side and protecting that back four because there will be chances. I mean, even against Arsenal um, earlier on in the season, Liverpool, when I think Van Dijk was still playing, in fact, I'm pretty sure he was, that was the game where Roy Keane questioned the big open spaces they left him behind, which, you know, with better finishing, Liverpool could have dropped points then. Obviously, Spurs are a immeasurably better team uh, than that Arsenal side. So there, there, there could well be chances. I mean, I, I was thinking about this and like, if obviously if Spurs win this, it'll put them three points clear of Liverpool against a team who haven't lost at home for more than three and a half years in the league. Um, would this be Tottenham's best ever win in the Premier League? Is that overstating it? I mean, James, you- are you harking back to my piece about that Man City game? Is that what this is? Well, that but that wasn't even best. It wasn't that kind of most influential and changed everything. But I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, definitely was one of the better results to go away to someone good and win. It, I mean, that's not something Spurs have done loads. No, but this, this is like an era defining team that have won the Champions League and the Premier League. That was a transitional team under Mancini. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this would be better. I mean, well, I, I suppose you can kind of only really say that once you know like what it's meant and the kind of the context has all become evident. Because if they, if they won on Wednesday night, then lost to Leicester, uh, and then ended up kind of falling down into third or fourth place or whatever through the second half of the season, then maybe it doesn't feel quite as significant. But obviously if they win and then win a title, yeah, I think you probably look at that and say it probably would be the most significant result and the best result. But just as a statement, like it, it just in the moment for them to go yeah. and win, I mean, like imagine how that would change the conversation. Yeah, yeah it, would, it would be massive. It would be totally massive. I mean, I don't think, if Spurs won that game, I don't think there'd be anyone in, left in any doubt that they were in the title race. As much as I've made it abundantly clear that I don't think the title race is a thing you can really talk about until sort of February or March, but but whatever. Yeah, I was trying to. It's, it's funny you say that you say that, Charlie, because I was looking back through. I was trying to think like, when is the last time Spurs had a game this big? And you can look at. I was thinking of because even in sixteen seventeen, Spurs were always so far behind Chelsea that even like when they famously beat Chelsea in January of that year, which is an incredible win, it wasn't. It didn't massively like change the dial in terms of the title race. And so you're looking back to the 15-16 season that, you know, the famous Arsenal game in March, the West Ham defeat in March. But that was like, that was March. There was like 12 or 14 games left in the season. And now we've got, we're only 12 games into the season. So I don't know how, I don't know how much we can, on the one hand, it does feel like a huge game. On the other hand, we are really, really early into this season, aren't we? It is, it is incredibly early, but like Charlie says, it is an opportunity for like a statement. And especially if you do open a gap at the top, which obviously they haven't been able to do up to now. I mean, an actual points gap. Then, I mean, look, I, it's a massive week, isn't it? And we'll, we'll touch on the Leicester game, I'm sure, in a minute. But like, if they, if they can get if they can get four points from those two games, they'll be they'll be top of the league at Christmas, whatever happens in other games. And um, whichever way around they get those four points. And I think you know, although Christmas is coming earlier in the season this season, I guess would normally be about halfway. I think it would still be quite a big statement to be like, like ahead of the pack at that stage. Um, without wanting to dwell on negative memories very quickly, I know you mentioned that West Ham game, Jack. I, I would say actually, I had forgotten about that, but that was a significant one because that, I think they they could have won if they'd won, they would have gone top of the league in March, wouldn't they? Obviously, they didn't. They didn't go top of the league that whole season. And famously, it was Arsenal that bottled it, not Spurs. Just want to just put that out there again. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. And then, of course, on Sunday, it's Leicester. Uh, Spurs beat Leicester very comfortably when they came to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in July. Uh, but that was a diminished Leicester team. And, Charlie, they're looking really dangerous, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine them being as, say, naive. as I mean, they were a bit unlucky. It was, a, it was quite a weird game because they were actually quite good for the first half hour, Leicester, and then just got blitzed in the way that, it was actually that was quite um, that was one of the first times we got an indication of that kind of the way Spurs were going to play under Mourinho that effectively because Kane was brilliant in a deeper number ten sort of role and they just um, they sat deep and picked Leicester off um, so you'd think they they would learn from that but maybe not and maybe it's one of those where it's just quite difficult not to fall into those traps but it, it's a weird game to preview because we could be talking about it you know as less as Liverpool as Tottenham having you know, a three-point lead at the top and over Liverpool anyway and kind of, you know, roaring towards it or it's about can they bounce back? But yeah, whatever the situation in that Liverpool game, that it's, a, it's another big test in this run of really, really challenging games. Do you think there's any prospects of um, maybe a slightly different approach because of Vardy? I mean, you don't really want Vardy running in behind Toby and Dyer. Do you think there's any chance he might go back to Sanchez or am I just, we just overthinking it? James is putting a face. I, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm putting a face. I just can't see a world in which you you put a guy in who has only played in European games in the last what two months now. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even then, has looked quite rusty. I mean, against um, LASK, if we if we're calling him that, then yeah, I think he looked really bad in that game, didn't he? The three all draw. I mean, he looked like he got caught out a couple of times, and you just think like chucking him in against one of the best centre forwards in the league uh, would be. Risky. I, I completely see the logic. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe I don't know whether like Joe Roden maybe would be another option. Um, but I would be surprised. Uh, Mourinho, I'd be surprised if he if he kind of changed that. That would be the one thing I think I want to keep that defensive partnership. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think he'll do what he's done in the other games of trying to compensate by dropping Sissoko and Hoybier in. And I, and I do think that is an issue. We James, and I were talking about this earlier. Like Sanchez is that loss of form. That that has meant they've they've changed the way they've played and and I think Jack we were talking about it as well the fact that you know in an ideal world you'd probably have Sanchez in there for his pace but he's not playing well enough so you have Darren Alderweireld where there is that lack of pace and you have to compensate with the midfielders but that does create a hole sometimes in midfield um, and we'll see you know maybe a team like Leicester or a team like Liverpool um, that will cost them but I'd be yeah I'd be amazed if if he changed that partnership Darren Alderweireld would have such an understanding and. You know, with Spurs on a run of two goals against in, in seven. 
I mean, I, you know, the, the whole the whole thinking of having that defence sat so deep is to kind of negate the risk of players exactly. like Vardy being able to run through, right? So, I, I, I mean, I maybe wouldn't be entirely surprised if you saw a situation where Vardy didn't get too many chances, but perhaps some, you know, perhaps Madison is able to pull the strings in midfield. So, like you say, Charlie, it could kind of flip that mm-hmm. dynamic a little bit. Taking these two Premier League games together, because then after then it's uh, Carabao Cup and Stoke City away. What would what do you think Tottenham would be aiming for? Would you take three points? Would you want four points? What's the level? I think you definitely take four. I think it'd be pretty crazy not to take that, given that that would you know a draw at Anfield and a win at Leicester, or obviously the other way around. If you were offered three, would you take it? I don't know. What do you think, James? If if you were if you're offered that. In a similar vein to what I said about flipping that Palace game around, I think if you if you lose at Anfield, if you lose at Anfield and you play okay, and then you beat Leicester at home and you play well, then I kind of feel like you're going to come out of that week relatively happy. I mean, I can't I can't work out where they would be in a table if that happened. I guess depends on other results. No, they'd still, they'd still be they'd still be at least second, wouldn't they? I guess because presumably unless Chelsea could oh yeah because Chelsea yeah. couldn't close that gap enough, could they? How many points did Chelsea? Yeah, oh, I don't know. Yeah. So, Everyone's really close, aren't yeah. it's, it's too hard to work out. There's too many permutations. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of think, you know, that does seem incredibly defeatist, particularly when you're talking about, or when you are talking about uh, a, a title challenge. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think there's certainly something to be said for like bouncing back of a win after a defeat. I mean, if, if they won at Anfield, then lo- lo- lost at home to Leicester, it would be incredibly annoying. I mean, like I said before, if they can get four points from those two games, I think that would be absolutely incredible. That would be spot on. Elsewhere in Spurs world, they've been drawn in the last 32 of the Europa League. Uh, when I saw the draw, I thought, oh, cool, Wolfsburg, we can do a big bit about how it's the former team of Kevin De Bruyne and Aidan Dzeko and on the way back up in the Bundesliga. And, you know, they used to be managed by Wolfgang Wolf and they're sponsored by Volksvo- Volkswagen and all the rest of it. And then I realised it's, in fact, a team that I've never heard of called Wolfsburger, who are, in fact, Austrian, not German. Um this is completely destroying my credentials as someone who claims to know about European football. I had only heard of them because they were in the Europa League group stage last season with Wolfsburg and Wolves. Oh, and the yeah. suggestion was that it would be like incredible if they were all in the same group, but unfortunately... Imagine the banter, yeah. But So these guys, is their third. this is their third ever European campaign. It's their best ever European campaign. <laughs> uh, everything I know about them I've learned off their Wikipedia page in the last half hour or so Charlie can you have you read any have you read anything else James <laughs> have you spent more than Help 30 minutes reading this Wikipedia yeah. page yeah did, did you think it was kind of like one of those fake Pro Evo names at first because they didn't have the rights to Wolfsburg so they just slightly oh, tweaked yeah. it to Wolfsburg uh, I know like the Trad Bricks yeah the Trad Bricks um, they Merseyside Red etc they are 7th in the Austrian Bundesliga I believe um, I mean you know, and given the way Tottenham navigated, well, I mean, they won comfortably at home. I guess they drew away with with Lask, didn't they? Um, I, I I don't know a huge amount about this team. I mean, from people who know far more about them uh, and European football than I do, the reaction seems to be they've done pretty well with the draw here, Tottenham, especially br- bigger picture. It looks like quite a few of the decent sides left in the tournament have drawn each other, which is quite handy. I mean, one of Sociedad and United will go out which is good. Uh, one of them, Fika and Arsenal, who knows what state they'll be in then, is good. And also that means Vertonghen uh, and Adel Tarab returning to North London, which is quite cool. Yeah, I think I think most Spurs fans are probably more excited about that Arsenal-Benfica draw than the Spurs-Wolfsburg <laughs> draw. And I, and I say that 
now on the full expectation that I've cursed it and Spurs will lose. But, you know, so that's, um, will be, will be. Thursday, 18th of February, away in the Lavantal Arena. And then Wednesday, 24th of February, an unusual Wednesday night uh, second leg fixture, presumably for kind of fixture congestion and policing reasons, back at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I'd love to say that, I, you know, hoping that would be a, a well-attended game, but it's literally impossible to predict what the uh, the rules will be on matches and attendance and fans and everything more than two months down the line from here. But fortunately, it's like sufficiently far away that hopefully things will have improved by then. Um, also, Charlie, this week, you've spoken to former Tottenham Hotspur manager, Tim Sherwood. How was he? Yeah, he was really good. So I was speaking to Tim. He's part of the Amazon Prime uh, team. Obviously, listeners will be familiar with Amazon Prime from the All or Nothing documentary, and they're showing uh, Premier League games in December. So yeah, we were talking a bit about Spurs now and about his time at Tottenham. I mean, I was I was thinking back, we did a podcast, didn't we, on his uh, time at Spurs, uh, which was really fun, kind of reflecting on that pretty action-packed period. And you can listen to that if you missed it at the time. When would it have been? Like May, April, that kind of thing. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was he was interesting. I mean, we, we talked about, you know, his time at Tottenham and he, you know, I think people people know that he, he feels he did a good job. He feels he always told it like it was, was very upfront and that didn't always go down well in kind of modern football, but he wouldn't change anything. I mean, we talked about, you know, the future for him as well and whether he'd want to be a manager uh, again and he said he wouldn't change he would uh, continue to to shoot from the hip and say it as he saw it and um, and maybe that would count against him um, but he talked well about um, you know some of the players we played with I mean there, there were some he fell out with and you know there were issues over their attitude and approach and that sort of thing uh, but he said you know Christian Eriksen was the best player and also the best trainer he said Sigurdsson was a really good trainer I mean Christian Eriksen for instance was probably the best player we had and had the best attitude. You know, I couldn't, mm. couldn't fault him at all. Erickson was one. Diggerson was outstanding professional. They're great. You know, players, for someone like me who's come from the development side, for young kids to look at them too as professional footballers and the way they worked every day to improve themselves and Harry Kane, who was coming through, would watch them and be out with them and join in the shooting sessions and the the three kicks and the practicing what they did over the over and above the time we had with them on the training field. It was just a great example. So it was interesting kind of reflecting on that on that period. And I and I also asked him about comments uh he made uh in the December after he left on him saying that Jan Vertonghen was a really good uh kind of ball player but he couldn't defend, which he denied, so we had a little bit of uh an exchange about that. And one thing I wanted to ask you, you once said about Vertonghen that you couldn't defend. Is that something you stand by? Do you think that's fair? Vertonghen what? That he couldn't defend. You said he was a, he was great on the ball. I never said that. You did? A few, no, uh, I never. You did, I promise you. In, uh, Decem- no, in December never, 2014. Never. What What do you think of Vertonghen? I think he's a very good player. Excellent player. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even... I wouldn't... I would still add him at the club. I think he should still be there. Uh, and he talked about AVB and kind of the... the it, what he said that was quite interesting, he said when he came in, there was a feeling that Tottenham were playing really boring football under AVB. And so he wanted to go in and change things up uh, a little bit. 
and you know just do something different be a bit more exciting and you know it did we talked about it when we did that podcast it did work for a bit that kind of shock therapy they they won some games very entertainingly beat Southampton away in his first game they went and won at Old Trafford um but obviously yeah then it didn't it didn't quite work out um but also just you know looking back on uh you know what we were talking about the you know this forthcoming game against Liverpool well I see it playing out the Tottenham City defend uh, very deep Liverpool have most of the ball um and Tottenham rely on Kane and Son to, to do some magic as they've done I mean what, what they scored I think they scored 23 goals all season and 18 or 19 of them have been shared between Son and Kane Liverpool have all of the ball um, Tottenham will try not to let them break them down and um, hopefully Tottenham can expose them on a counter attack what, what would your prediction be? if Liverpool take their chances they win the game Yeah, because they will have more but it's all if buts and maybes. Mm-hmm. Harry Kane and, and Son, they don't need many chances because they're so clinical. I mean, even in the North London derby, and we're not talking about, I mean, they're a poor team, Arsenal, they're not Liverpool. So, uh, and, they, and they didn't have that many chances, Tottenham, certainly in the second half, they're sitting back um, too much. I, I think, I, I think it'll be a draw and I think Tottenham will be happy with a draw going to Anfield with the record they've got there, but, He was full of full of praise for Mourinho uh, and the job he's doing. He talked about how they have a kind of what Mourinho's done is he's created almost like a cartel of players uh, who are absolutely on side with him. He talked about guys like Hoybier, who's kind of his captain on the pitch. Obviously Harry Kane and just getting the buy-in of all the key players, which I thought was interesting. No, but Jose just gets the players. I mean, he does exactly the same now at Tottenham as what he's done at Chelsea when they were very successful. He's getting players to buy into his methods. You know, he's got he has a cartel. He's got a cartel there now. At, at, um, he sent the message out to them guys, and they're buying into the methods. Now it's the time when the fans come back for them to buy into it. And then he talked a bit about English managers. In his view, not maybe getting the opportunities that foreign managers get, which uh, many will disagree with. But yeah, it was very, it was very interesting uh, to chat to him as we talked about on the on that podcast. He's someone that divides opinion. A lot of people think, you know, he uh, he was too outspoken as Tottenham manager and, and remains too outspoken. But he's, you know, he's he's really good to talk to. You know, he's talking to us from Amazon Prime. He's working as a pundit for them, and you know, they're showing a bunch of Premier League games this December, including um, Liverpool Spurs on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. 
One other thing that I wanted to mention on this week's podcast, which I've been thinking about a lot, is Jose Mourinho posted on his Instagram a photograph of his chairs. He has these two custom-made chairs by a company called Secret Lab in his office at Tottenham's training ground. Uh, These are the Secret Lab Omega brand, one of which is Game of Thrones branded. Uh, Now, I've never watched Game of Thrones, but I'm told that it has the branding of the House of Stark, who uh, my colleague Carl Anker tells me are stoic, moral, and fiercely loyal. So they've got uh, Ned Stark, who is played by Sean Bean, um, who apparently gets... So I'm going to spoil Game of Thrones now for you. I'm sorry, listeners. But apparently he gets decapitated at the end of season one for being too honourable. Ah, oh, for fuck's uh, sake. Well, going, what if I was going to watch that? This was years ago. Um, Can I just say, I've started watching The Sopranos and I know you're a big fan of The Sopranos and I'm about to talk about that in a minute. Can you not spoil The Sopranos, please? Okay, promise. I promise I won't spoil The Sopranos for you. Um, what? And then the other one is The Dark Knight. Guys, I don't know what you, what you think about this, what you think the... Uh, Game of Thrones and Dark Knight chairs tell us about Mourinho. I mean, they are like a sort of 14-year-old boy's chairs, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I, I, yes, they are. I mean, I, looking at those pictures, all I can think of is like the smell of a 14-year-old's bedroom, which I, maybe the less said about that, the better. <laughs> I have to say, I think that the... Um, I, I can't talk about Game of Thrones, but I do think that Mourinho having a Dark Knight chair is just perfect because I imagine that, you know, that famous sequence at the end of The Dark Knight is basically how Mourinho conceives of himself. Like this idea that in a in a corrupted world that a good man will have to do bad things to get results. And if that means he's hated by other people, then he's brave enough to take it. And part of his Mourinho's strength as he conceives it is his willingness to embrace a dark side and and to accept all the criticism. And reveling in that sense of martyring, martyring his own image. You know that bit. It's like Mourinho is saying, "I am whatever football needs me to be." I imagine he watched. He's an antihero. Yeah, he would. I can totally see Mourinho watching The Dark Knight and thinking, "Yes, this is exactly my vibe." I, you know, how do we think Mourinho would have felt about the previous Batman films? I mean, presumably he would have hated the kind of that Batman Forever, Batman and Robin era. But maybe he would have quite liked the Michael Keaton ones. Yeah, too, I think he, too kitschy. Yeah. Too kitschy yeah, for Jose. He, Jose does have a big kind of mischief to him. That's true. Like mis, mischief and... Glint in his eye. Like, yeah, like taunting and wordplay and that kind of thing is... Do you think he likes Jim Carrey as the Riddler? Is that what you're saying? Maybe, maybe. I do think there's a bit of... There's a, a bit of, there's kind of lightness to amidst the dark, I think, with, with Mourinho. Um, I think you're absolutely right, Breaking Bad. I can totally see yeah. him... I can totally see Mourinho loving Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad is obviously so, so popular with with some men or lots of men. And particularly the kind of Breaking Bad fan who like just sees it quite, who sees the show quite simply as like how one clever, ruthless man came from nothing to build this amazing empire. You know, the kind of fan who, the kind of bad fan as they're known of Breaking Bad. I can have to word this question carefully because I don't want to suggest that Jose Mourinho might cook meth. <laughs> Who would which Spurs player would be the Jesse Pinkman to Jose's Walter White? I was think? thinking about this, and I I wonder. It feels like there has to be an arc to the story, doesn't there? And they have to rub each other rub each other up the wrong way and be in conflict for a lot of the time. But there for some to be for there to be some affection. So I wondered if someone like Ndombele, who they started off really really not liking one another, it seemed, but they found a common ground and a way of working together. 
and they now it's mutually beneficial yeah well they yeah and they now they they feel like a, a partnership and you know who would have thought that pinkman and white would form that bond and likewise we thought this maverick midfielder and the the kind of veteran experienced manager but they've they've managed to find a way to do it so i think it would be someone like him so are you saying it's going to all going to end with uh and this is a massive spoiler for breaking bad by the way so forgive me uh with jose Mourinho being terminated let's say <laughs> and uh Tunky and Dombele escaping is that is that what you're suggesting i guess eventually they will both leave yeah so um <laughs> yeah the, the the parallel works perfectly I can also see him like Narcos. Yeah, definitely, one hundred percent. Like quite, quite a kind of like glitz. I, I really like Narcos, but it's quite a simple, like glitzy, glamorous, dramatic show about a charismatic, powerful bad man. Like it's good. Like I think it's really well it's made, a, it's a, but it's again, very marine. anti antihero again. It's, yeah, you can see it. The antihero, like Walter White, or the characters in Narcos, like those kind of antiheroes, don't have. They don't have the depth of like a sort of Tony Soprano type. Wasn't it Pochettino? He was a big House of Cards fan. Oh yeah, yeah. I can definitely see Mourinho like so. I, that I, well. Yeah, because I, 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 I always thought yeah, Mourinho would admire the the Frank Underwood kind of Machiavellianness. Do you reckon he likes the Sopranos? Yeah, definitely. Oh, for exactly the same reason. Tony Soprano is an under uh, antihero, right? It's exactly the same. You can just see he could see himself in Tony Soprano. If he'd definitely. be a character in the Sopranos, who'd he be? I, I've told you I've watched two episodes. So you watched two episodes, this. okay? I'm going to say Johnny Sack. Uh, just because jo- kind of stylish, like quite re- on the surface, he, he can be reserved, but then also like with like spasms of emotion and anger. I'm not giving any- anything away, James, by saying that. But um, yeah, I've always seen him as a kind of Johnny Sack, I think, more than more than Tony, just because Tony has a kind of, I don't know, maybe it's just a physical thing. It's because Tony's such a big guy and he's got this kind of garrulousness and stuff. And I've never quite seen him in Mourinho in quite the same way. What do you think Mourinho will watch on Christmas Day? Will he watch Gavin and Stacey? Uh, he'll probably watch like videos of how Wolves defend set pieces. Should, should be careful about what you say about Gavin and Stacey because I reckon that's an incredibly... I, I, I really hate it. I mean, I've never yeah. seen it, but it looks shit. But I reckon it's an incredibly Spurs programme. So we should be careful about what we say <laughs> well, about Well, actually, Gavin yeah, the, Gavin's a big Tottenham fan, but both the actor Matt Horn yeah. and, uh, and the character Gavin. Yeah. Um, I also I really like in these pictures the, the the Batman ones are like reasonably natural in a way the way he's posing with them and then the Game of Thrones ones he's like sitting out looking at what looks like an empty pitch it it looks like weirdly unnatural you think they could have found a way of making it look like yeah this is you know as if he are we meant to think he just sort of sits there like that of a well, day just gazing can, can out can I give an explanation what I think is an explanation for why he's why he's posted this and this came up on my brother's uh, Instagram feed last night. Uh, I, I, I'll read the message. So look, hashtag secret lab, make, make nice chairs, comfortable, looks great, great price for premium product. And here's the thing, they'll extend my warranty if I post this, so here we are. Hashtag I'm sorry. So I put to you that Jose Mourinho has posted that to get an extended warranty on the chairs. Wow. There you go. Another another big story exclusive for the athletes. <laughs> I imagine it's been a big day for Secret Lab because uh, now, you know, Mourinho's got, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but I imagine millions of Instagram followers who are now familiar with Secret Lab. Like, I was looking at the chairs myself. So they, they've been reduced from £379 to £344 in time for Christmas. 
Look, if you're gonna if you're gonna almost literally hawk your backside around like that, then I am also looking for a chair. So if they want to send us some free chairs, I actually just <laughs> bought an office chair. God, what an idiot! Given that Secret Lab are about to send us some incredible chairs to use, it's fine. You can Was still it Game of Thrones it. branded? It was Dark Knight, actually. And you won't even you won't even need that warranty. <laughs> On the other hand, it's possible that we're all completely overthinking this, and he just really likes like Big Bang Theory. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, I would, or just friends. Maybe he's a really big Friends fan. Yeah, that kind of. Who do you what's... think is his favorite? Who's his, his favorite? favorite Friends character? I reckon maybe Joey. I know that sounds ridiculous, but in the in the way that Jack was saying before, he does have that kind of mischievous side to him. Um, I can see him just sat there earnestly watching Friends, being like, "This guy Joey, he's hilarious," <laughs> and like, what what's sapping the rest of the Spurs team his favorite clips from Friends? Um, <laughs> But who knows? Okay, I think that's probably as good a point as any to bring an end to this week's podcast. But thank you very much if you have made it all the way through this nonsense at the end. Um, We will be back again next week, by which point Spurs will have played Liverpool and Leicester in the Premier League. Um, So we'll know a lot more about the strength of their title challenge by then. If there's anything else you'd like us to discuss then, please just tweet us. Thank you very much to James and Charlie and producer Tom. And we'll be back again next week.